Hello, and welcome to The Trumpet, the official podcast of Elephant Room Productions. Uh, I am joined today uh, back on the cell phone or computer recording. Uh, I got very spoiled by having my last two interviews be in person, but uh, joining us from Atlanta, we have Atlanta playwright Emily McLean. Emily, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Uh, We're going to be talking about... uh, her submission to the Elfineers reading series, Cheek by Jow. Um, but to start, as I do with uh, any interview, if you could just tell us a little bit about your background, theater or otherwise. Okay, sure. Uh, well, I was born in Tupelo, Mississippi, um, but then moved to Atlanta uh, when I was in about the sixth grade, and I've lived here ever since. Um, I am a theater teacher. Uh, I, this is my 14th year of teaching that I've just about finished up with. So excited about that. But I've always taught theater. And um, I've really just recently, within the last about three years, gotten into playwriting more seriously. So I would, yeah, I was um, mainly focused on directing. That's what, like, I went to college for and everything. And that's really been my focus um, from an artistic standpoint. So I uh, am just finishing up my 14th year of teaching high school theater, and mostly uh, my focus was directing um, from college and on, and I've done a little bit of performing, but really it's mostly been within the last um, three years that I've really gotten into playwriting more seriously. Um, So I've done uh, several full-length pieces and then just a a lot of 10-minute plays has been really the, the focus prior to... Um, my first piece, which was called uh, Slaying Holofernes, and it's actually going to be produced um, in July at the Essential Theater Festival. It won um, the Georgia Playwright Festival for that, and so it'll be going up as a fully staged production, which has been crazy. Awesome. <laughs> and then um, Cheek by Jowl is my second full-length play, and uh, it's definitely um, a little bit more... It's, it was a lot of fun to write, but it is something that I feel like very close to all of those characters um, in right, a little bit right. more of an intimate way. So, yeah, it's been, it's nice. And I'm really, I'm so excited to hear it um, nice. when you guys, because like I said, uh, I, I can't wait to hear it either. <laughs> as, of, as of this recording, I have not read it. I tend to, yeah. uh, I tend to go into most of our readings whenever I can. I try to go in as cold as possible just so right. I can uh, experience it the same way the actors are. Um, but just based on your description beforehand, I am very excited to learn about it. Uh, before we get back into that, yeah. though, you did mention that you're also a director. Um, yes. Uh, is that your kind of two main hats, or do you also dabble in performance as well? No, I really do focus on, on directing. Um, I do perform occasionally. Um, I was Most recently, I was the nurse in Streetcar Named Desire. Um, oh, wow. The, the character that comes in at the very end of the play and manhandles poor Blanche off to the loony bin. Yeah, that was that was me. So um, that was, right, and that right was be- a lot Right of fun. before that big finale. Right. <laughs> Sorry, what, what, whenever I hear a streetcar named Desire, I think of The Simpsons. Yes. Yeah. The, o, the O streetcar. <laughs> exactly. We actually had, and, we had a, um, we had a professor um, in college. Uh, we went to, we, uh, most of us at ERP went to, um, actually, no, not, not most of us anymore now that our uh, ensemble members have been shifting around, but uh, Lauren and I, Went to Bloomsburg, as I mentioned, a lot. And, gotcha, um, yeah. And uh, I used to be the teacher's assistant for theater appreciation, which was the, uh, you know... It, you or non-major. Yeah, yeah, you need you need a Gen 1 humanities, mm-hmm. whatever credit, just watch. And it was literally, it was 
learn about theater for half the class and then watch a movie like <laughs> like uh Street mm-hmm. Named Desire or uh Color Purple uh, not Color Purple. Um uh my goodness, what this is this is uh very troubling to me that I can't remember this. It's a brilliant and poignant uh Sydney Poitier play. Raisin um, in the Sun. Raisin in the Sun. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't think of that. I, um, but no, at, at the at the end of his semester, sometimes he would be like the last class. He would go, "All right, we're gonna watch one more version of Streetcar Named Desire," <laughs> and the class would go, "Oh," and he's like, "Well, wait, wait, wait," and then he would show the Streetcar Named Marge episode. Yes, of The Simpsons. Well, if he <laughs> followed it up with the monorail, then he could get Music Man in there too. And <laughs> I could talk about Simpsons for hours. As yeah. Can be a <laughs> um, uh, also, um, just on a personal note, uh, this is the first time I've recorded in my kind of home studio in a bit. So it's been a while since I've had a guest comment on my giant Slytherin banner uh, behind <laughs> me. Um, and I found, did you, did you just say before the interview that you identify in that house as well? No, I'm a Gryffindor, but my husband is a Slytherin, so oh, I was just like, I, I always my, appreciate a my mixed boyfriend house. Is a, yeah, yeah, my boyfriend is a Gryffindor, and I am a Slytherin, so that is yeah. funny. Uh, we have the same Patronus, though, so oh, okay. if you go by Pottermore, I don't yes, like of, yeah. I don't like being a dolphin. I prefer my Patronus to be a unicorn. It's easier when I teach my wizard classes in the summer. <laughs> it's true. Um, <laughs> um, and also, uh, you mentioned that you are a, um, you're a high school the theater teacher um, yes. what uh what types of shows do you tend to focus on with that age range um so we have i have a very uh, a pretty big program now um and so i'm doing uh nine shows in the school year Jesus. which is nuts <laughs> it's really really we, crazy. we were lucky to get three in yeah high school, and that was one of them was only for seniors Right. Well, I, the the program. Uh, this is my first year at this new school that does that does this amount of of productions, and so it has been a little overwhelming um, because I was coming from a program where I just did six a year, and I really thought that that was like pushing my my abilities and my limit um, at six. And I'm hoping maybe as I'm there a little longer, we can kind of dial down back to a, a, a more reasonable level. We'll see. Um, but no, we do, um, we do straight plays. We do musicals. Um, this year we did, um, uh, lovesick, which is sort of the, the dark sequel to almost Maine. Um, not really a sequel, oh but God. like a, it's, it's that kind of style. It's like, you know, almost Maine is like the, the, the opportunities and the potential for, for love. And yeah. then lovesick is all about relationships, kind of all the different ways is they it, fall apart. Is um, it the same playwright or? It is. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I did not um, know there was. Wait, maybe I did know there was a companion piece. Um, it's I, fairly I actually, new, I think within the last four years, maybe. I I did almost main years and years. Yeah. And years ago, and I just <laughs> I just saw. Um, I mean, I did it in college. Um, and it was a it was in a program that was like uh-huh. the first show of the year was generally geared for um freshmen and new majors, people who hadn't done main okay. stages before. But there was such a influx of um female actors that year and not as many male actors that they kind of beseeched the juniors and seniors <laughs> to, you know, come right. in. Um, so we did it much in the style that almost Maine is usually done in that kind of program where it's mm-hmm. every scene is essentially like its own little 10 minute thing. Yes. Um, I did recently see a production, a good friend of mine, uh, Lisa Villamil, who has written for us before, um, was in a more traditional production of it where it was done with, 
about four or five actors um, mm-hmm. just, you know, repping through. Uh, it's so funny. Uh, I've seen Almost May probably five or six times, and I've never seen it performed like that. <laughs> yeah, the way, the way it. it's supposed to be. <laughs> exactly. I know. It's, and I mean, it's and funny, it, but yeah, it's just the needs of a educational theater are different. Um, and so yeah. it, is, it suits itself to that. What, one more question before I uh, gear us into your play. Yeah. Is that a dog I just saw wander behind Oh, you? yes. Yeah, I have two dogs. And they're, oh, I, I, I banished them outside and he's like lurking. His name is Walter. <laughs> oh, I, I've done much the same to my cat, Albus, who usually interrupts uh, trumpet. You, if you listen through, I, I was very touched that you told me you actually listened to some trumpets uh, yes, before this. Uh, <laughs> but you may have noticed that sometimes after the end song, you'll hear... Uh, a little outtake of yeah. me yelling, no, no, down. Uh, so hopefully that will not happen today. I have my door shut. Um, so let us transition on into talking about Cheek by Jowl. Cool. Um, so if you could uh, just give us a brief description of the play uh, and then a little intro to the scene that we will be listening to. Okay, so um, Cheek by Jowl is a, uh, a dark comedy, um, but it is about a dysfunctional family that centers around um, an aging father. His name is Martin, and he was, uh, he wrote an incredibly popular and well-received, well-reviewed novel back in the 70s. Um, and then he really never published anything after that. So he kind of had this like flash in the pan success and then nothing um but his as he got divorced from the kid's mom they had a really pretty nasty divorce and then there have been all of these kind of rumors um about his his writing ability and who really was the true author of his famous novel and all of that kind of stuff. Okay, so all of that has happened, but now um, the the crux of the play is that he um, has had a really terrible cardiac episode. He can no longer live in this isolated mountain cabin where he's always stayed, um, and the children, his adult children, have tried to come together, and they don't really get along themselves, and they don't really get along with him. He's a very difficult person. as creative people often are, um, but he he has a very contentious relationship with all three of his children, but they are trying to get him to uh, sell the house and move um, somewhere where they can take better care of him. At the same time, uh, he has been offered by a movie producer a significant amount of money to sell the rights to um, his novel, uh, and that would be a, a huge boon for the family and this like financial security for for him and for them in the future. And he is keeping that a secret from his children. Um, and so then that is revealed in the play, and then that kind of escalates the the sibling rivalries and all of that kind of stuff that has been sort of simmering under the surface. That kind of makes it this um, very. Uh, uh, aggressive need right to solve this problem and to figure things out even more so than it was before like it was already um pretty intense about like dad can't stay here by himself anymore and then ratcheting that up with this idea of like also he's got this he's sitting on this um, um, information that he's not sharing um you know and so it it's 
it's that dynamic that goes out. It does play in like sort of a darkly comic tone. I was going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> so some, a lot of the things that they are that they are talking about um, are very serious, right? So the idea of like caring for an aging parent and, and keeping all the, these secrets and everything. But at the same time, the coping mechanism for all three of the kids is is kind of this like sarcastic, quick wit that they get from their father, but then, you know, it's it's how that uh, same characteristic plays out differently for all three of the kids. All right. Well, let's take a listen to the scene. Did uh, anyone want to say anything about mom? Since we're kind of celebrating her. Happy 70th birthday, Claire. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday, mom. mom. Hopefully, wherever you are now, they serve red wine and chocolate. Sweet of you to say, Dad. Slightly over warm red wine and crumbly after dinner mint chocolates. <laughs> Can you not do that right now? What? Your little barbs, your clever offhand comments. Would it be too much to ask you to honor her memory for a minute? I'm allowed to honor her in the way I see fit. You have to make everything about you. I prefer to remember people as they were, not as we would like them to be. It's just a little insensitive, that's all he meant. I understand what he meant. It wasn't a lack of comprehension skills on my part. Okay, Dad. I like to think about Mom sitting in her chair with a blanket around her legs, reading on her Kindle and drinking a big glass of sherry, snickering to herself about something she was When did reading. she do that? She didn't. It's just how I like to think she'd spend her twilight years if she was still around. That's actually kind of perfect, Phil. She's reading badly written erotica. That's why she's laughing. <laughs> okay. If you're all done concocting fantasies about the woman who raised us, let me say something. Mom was uh, one of the hardest working women I've ever met. She was strong. And, and created a sense of effortless grace. And it, she, she was a modern-day Jackie Kennedy. She, she faced some really incredible challenges. And, and through it all, she managed to raise three children and help us become functioning, self-sufficient adults. And, and in this day and age, that is really remarkable. So, uh, to Claire McElroy. He raises his cookie in a toast. His siblings follow suit. To a wonderful mother who is deeply missed. That's a wonderful statement. She was a great mother. I'd give her a B plus. Two out of three on raising self-sufficient adults ain't bad. Dad! Ooh, there it is. Man, I thought you were going to miss the easy lob over the plate. Philip stands more upset than he wants to let on. I don't want to tarnish your dear mother's memory by bringing up the fact that you work hourly at a computer repair shop with a partially completed degree, but if that's how you feel you best honor her, who am I to disagree? Mom was very proud of you, Philip. I know she believed in your writing ability. Well, let's not get too revisionist. Nobody asked you. It's nice to hear. She was encouraging to someone about their writing. I seem to have missed the boat on that front. You're a grown man. It wasn't Mom's job to encourage your writing. If you wanted to write, there was no one stopping you. You wouldn't understand, and I don't expect you to get what I'm saying. But your version of your mother, that Jackie Kennedy stuff, that's not real. 
That's not who she was, and I think it's worse to dishonor her by misremembering. Dad, we don't need to do all this right now. What would you know about her? Your version of her isn't any more authentic than Brody's. You painted her as this harpy who kept you back all these years. Not totally inaccurate, but not the full picture either. I never said she was a harpy. You know what? Let's get cleaned up here. Heidi stands up, gathering the plate of cookies and cups and napkins, moving with a brisk efficiency of an elementary school teacher. We all love Mom very much, and it's fine that we remember her differently. It's like you said, Phil. People can be different to different people. That's not exactly what I... And I don't know how much people are truly entitled to know about other people. You know, I think we should be allowed to have secrets or unknowns, mysteries, whatever. I don't have to be an open book to everyone, even your kids and husband. The men exchange glances as Heidi bustles into the kitchen. Well, that was a little weird. Yeah. She does things like that all the time. Don't mind her. And we're back. Um, so I just want to latch on to something you said right before we went into the scene about um, how the the subject matter of the play, as, as in any great dark comedy, the subject matter is clearly rooted in something that's very serious. Yes. But done in a comedic way and it, it's something that i've always found fascinating um my my grandmother always tells me at any family gathering at after at least five to ten minutes she will lean in and go well robert when you finally write that sitcom or play <laughs> right. plenty of material um so I, before we get into kind of your writing style was any of this, any of the character interactions or any of the character relationship uh, inspired by anything from your real life? It, it was a little bit. The, char- the youngest brother, um, his, his interaction and everything with his siblings is mirroring my younger brother a little bit, um, although Philip is way more dysfunctional. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, caveat in case Spencer ever listens to this podcast. <laughs> Um, but I, it I, is, no, I've, it had, I've just... had to mult, on multiple occasions uh, <laughs> for telling stories about family members reiterate how much I love them. Right, exactly. Uh, but it, it, you do, um, I mean, I think that's something that, like, good playwrights are always going to kind of mine their own lives and relationships a little bit um, and then sort of make it some somehow different and unique for the situation for these particular characters. So, right. you know, that and then... Um, I love uh, thinking about, like, my dad, who is not nearly um, as old or cranky as Martin is, um, but his his idea of, like, being teasingly disappointed um, <laughs> is kind of funny and fun to, to play with, and that's where uh, some of that aspect of Martin's personality came from, you know, like... Right. Everything is kind of always tinged with a yeah, but you didn't quite get it, did you? <laughs> so yeah, but well, always mix it up. <laughs> well, about the style, just in general, the kind of darkly comedic, um, sarcastically witty. Is that a style you tend to write in? I know you said this is your second piece, but um, is that a recurring theme with you in your writing? It, it is, especially for my short plays. Uh, a lot of my 10-minute plays have the same kind of a feel of the characters that are very, very smart and very quick, but also kind of maybe get themselves in a little bit of trouble because of that, you know, like they don't know quite when to shut up. Um, 
So that's right. that's a that's a character flaw that a lot of my characters have, and I'm sure has no bearing on me as a person whatsoever. <laughs> Honestly, the like the I think the mark of a great character, uh, a, a great wise ass, to be precise, yes. is someone who doesn't know when to shut up. Right, right. right. It's, <laughs> it's why House ran for as many years as it ran. It's why Deadpool is so successful. Yep. It's um, ever everyone loves to watch the snarky asshole. Uh, oh yes. <laughs> so, um, but in terms of um. So in terms of the the sibling dynamic, um, yeah, what um what inspired you to uh bring the story together of the siblings caring for their father and his uh, and his health problems? Um, that really came about just that was sort of um biographical with my with my parents and then with my husband's parents as well because they are watching their but you know these baby boomer um aging folks and and having to kind of be sandwiched between adult children and aging parents and so they are they're really being squeezed you know both both sides of that and so you almost always with with siblings are going to get one of the siblings who kind of takes on the lion's share, right, of the care. And so sometimes it's the one who lives closer or sometimes it's a gendered thing. And so it falls to the daughter. Um, and in this case, there is only one daughter. So it's um, two brothers and a, and a sister. Um, and she has been the primary caretaker. And so she, I think, also maybe um, because of that has idolized uh, Martin a little bit more than Brody and Philip, who have both left, right? So she stayed and kind of had to take care of him, and she um, is is his most loyal um, supporter. It's not until really like the very very end that we see her um, come out against Martin. She she stands firm with him against the two brothers more so. So. And it's interesting to me, like, how birth order really can impact that, too. Like, I'm an oldest child. Um, and so, like, I think, um, you know, I traditionally, I do exhibit a lot of the characteristics, I think, of a firstborn. Um, and I've always wondered, like, how my personality would be different if my birth order was different. You know, they say that that's one of those major shaping things. Yeah, my, my sister is four years younger than me, um, and <laughs> has her head secured on her shoulders much more tightly than I ever did or ever will. I mean, she's she's the one. Oh, um, yeah. I, I guarantee she's gonna have doctor in front of her. <laughs> and I, well, we'll see. I'm an actor, so um, I'm a yeah. <laughs> I'm an actor and a podcast host and a teacher and a barista. So what do you know? And a singing telegram. So I mean, that's basically where I'm at. Um, but no, it's uh, I definitely. But yeah, I, I also see where you're coming from. Where I, I you know, I have the kind of, mm. I guess you could call it carefree attitude of a younger sibling. But I definitely have the, uh, I definitely have the mindset of. I have a, a younger sibling um, gotcha, yeah. and I, or I am the older sibling to a younger sibling. Um, and that dictated our relationship a lot when we were younger. Uh, she's one of my best friends now when we I, yes, that is absolutely always the case. Um, <laughs> and, um, and, and yeah, I, I, I kind of have the same thoughts sometimes. It's like, what would, yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 
Or, and also, I think the number of siblings, too, probably. I just have my one brother, and he's five years younger than I am. And our relationship definitely mirrored what you were saying. When we let live in the same house and share a bathroom, good Lord. Like, it was just bad news uh, for that. But then once we actually, like, lived in separate places, it was, our relationship was a lot better. Um, I mean, I, I also have to wonder then, you know, more siblings or different gender, gender too. Yeah, siblings. And did you find that? Did you? Mm-hmm. Did you find that um, a challenge, y'all, in writing? It, how, yes, it was because that um, they said, you know, that middle child, that you know, stereotypical idea, um, was really hard for me to kind of latch onto because I don't really have any examples of that. But I think that's where being a teacher is really nice. Okay. Because yeah. <laughs> I get to see like a uh, four several families I've taught all of their children, and so I get to see there are families that the oldest child um, acts in a particular way, and then the middle child comes through, and they are completely different. And then the baby comes in, and it's like, oh, okay, wait, I'm seeing all of these pieces kind of fall together, which is yeah, really it's cool. Fun. It's funny you say that because I have I've also had the pleasure of working with um, sibling. Uh, children sometimes at the same time um but also sometimes yeah a few years apart Mm -hmm. um i mean i i'm working in a slightly different capacity because it's it is theater is um a slightly different structure in the classroom but yeah um yeah i mean it's it's definitely it's definitely interesting to see especially if they are siblings around about the same age in the same class um, yes <laughs> that, oh yeah I, I mean especially when it comes to the summer camps um i do in addition to the directing assistant directing i do um i run uh hedger theaters creative camps which are basically monday to friday you know kind of world building it's like a pick a theme a week and kind of build mm. stories and characters around that yeah, yeah. and i've had twins uh multiple times yes that's <laughs> you know a challenge um i've had um i've had younger and older brother and sister sister and brother um so yeah it's it's fascinating to see which siblings uh you learn very quickly uh how your class will benefit by certain siblings being grouped together and certain siblings having to be grouped right apart (laughs) you cannot interact whatsoever oh yeah okay i think twins are their own their own special thing you know i i don't even know that they they operate on the same older younger dynamic but yeah i've had i've had sets of twins in class before and it is it's interesting um No, I, I think the, the, one of the things when I had, I hadn't heard the whole play in its entirety ever. Um, so you guys will be the first that I'm, that I'm hearing it from start to finish. I'm super excited about that, but I have heard snippets of scenes and that was always something that I asked for feedback on was, does the, does the sibling relationship and the changing alliances um, does that read as true? Because that was something that is that's a big. It's at the core of the play is who's on whose side and when does that change? Because it's not always the same. Sometimes 
Brody and Heidi team up against Philip. Sometimes, you know, they're all three against each other. Sometimes they're they're siding all three against dad, you know, that kind of thing. So um, as those those power dynamics were really interesting for me to to play with and to get that that right was really important to me. Nice. Um, and where do you hope to take this play from here? So I really am hoping to have it produced within the next year or two, either here uh, locally in Atlanta, or um, I'm hoping to submit it um, to the Oregon um, New Play Festival um, and maybe hearing it out there and have a trip (laughs) (laughs) to go see it. but I, I would just, I really would like to see it staged within the next year or two. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking it's close to being ready. You know, we'll see. <laughs> awesome. Well, I am very excited to read it. Um, I am very excited to see where it goes. Um, yeah. So before we, uh, uh, well, thank you again for chatting with me first off. Oh, yes, um, thanks. Be- uh, before we wrap up, um, I'll throw to... One of my classic little fun theater questions to end oh, with. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, so you led with um, Martin being kind of a kind of a wisecracking, uh, sarcastic wit. Sidebar, any connection to Martin Crane? Um, okay, so there is, he does, he does have, he does have, like, a chair thing. Like, he likes his chair and he gets mad when people sit in his chair. Um, which that totally, I think, comes I, from from that same character type. <laughs> so I, I spent um, about a year ago. I started for um, I had finished a rewatch of some random show, and I started um, Cheers for the first time. Okay. I, I, I thought it'd be like, oh, this is a cool show to watch. I loved it. Burned. Th- it took me a year to get through, and now I'm on to uh, now I'm on to Frasier. So I yes. I'm, I'm growing to love him. As soon as you said Martin and you know older father that the children have to take care of. I made that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. But that being said, um, <laughs> you said that he's kind of a wisecracker. So are the children that you said they kind of survive uh, through the sarcasm and wit. Uh-huh. Um, if you could pick a character from any play to go head to head with them in a battle of sarcastic asshole quips, um, <laughs> who would you pick? Oh gosh. Um I really think any of the I mean any of the guys, Ken or Lenny, um, from Neil Simon's rumors, I think they could totally uh totally give it back to Martin just as good as he dishes it out. Um but that yeah. <laughs> By the way, a very underrated play. Oh yeah, and one, and one that one that some I think sometimes it's forgotten that it's a Neil Simon piece. It's it's, so, it's hysterical. So it is so funny. <laughs> um, well, we are looking. This is going to be our uh, cheek by jowl is going to be our May uh, reading, which means this is going to be our June episode. This will cool. probably be uh, the later end of June. So, is there anything June wise or July upcoming uh, that you'd like to promote? Well, uh, my first full-length play, Slaying Holofernes, uh, is going to be produced at the Essential Theater here in Atlanta, um, and it's part of their uh, new play festival, so it's in rep with another play. 
Thank you. Uh, so I'm, I'm very, very excited about that. And it's been, um, we actually start uh, rehearsals for it um, pretty soon. They did casting and it was weird um, to get to sit in on that. They, they let me, you know, come in and watch callbacks and all that. And I was super appreciative to get to do that. But it was, it was crazy to see like, oh, all these different versions, you know, all the different actor interpretations nice. of these characters and to see where the director finally settled, um, you know, and he was so gracious to like, he asked my opinion about different, you know, kind of coming down between two different actors. Um, and so it was nice, but to get to see his version of like, this is how I see that character coming it down. It was, it's going to be really, really cool. So nice. well, I'm excited. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, well, again, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for chatting with me. Um, I cannot wait to experience this play. Um, and to any other aspiring playwrights out there, um, established or otherwise, if you have any play in any form that you would like feedback on, please, please, please send it to erpsubmissions at gmail.com. Remember, every story deserves to be heard, so join our Elephant Herd today. Until next time, this is Robert Jean Coleccio signing off.